says, no, no, I got something else for you, but you're responsible for that. Now, the power of the sin nature has been broken in your life, but you still have to make choices. And so we're seeing that what God did in the life of the children of Israel, also the same principles exist in our life. Jesus said it is finished and it is, but you're walking out the victory that Jesus has already bought is partially your responsibility. God gave us so many full and beautiful pictures of what life in Him looks like through the stories in the Old Testament. Today, Pastor Daniel is in the book of Joshua in the final speech Joshua made to the people before his death. He reminded the people of God's faithfulness and then urged them to finish the work they began. God had already won the major victory. They were already in the promised land, but there was a lot of work left to do. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 23 as he continues his message, Joshua's Farewell Address. When we begin to realize that our deepest, most abiding victories are the things that God has done, that causes us to praise, doesn't it? It causes us to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes onto the Lord and we begin to live God-centered lives. And I think it's really important that we always remember where the victory came from because what happens is, is for most of us, there's a slow slide or we never realize. We think, I'm a self-made person. I mean, that's a really common phrase. The only person who could take credit for what is going on is me because I did this myself. Wrong. Everything you have is a gift from God. Any ability that you have been able to use to do something amazing was given to you as a gift. You don't own any of it. Can't take credit for any of it. And so we always have to remember where the victory truly comes from. Now, in verse 4, Joshua reminds them that he has been faithful to administer his role in this. Notice what he says. He says, see, I've divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribe from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Now notice he's talking about the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea westward. Now if you've been studying with us, you realize that there are nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Mediterranean, right? Or the Great Sea there. That there's also the two and a half tribes that are on the other side of the Jordan River. But really the focus here is on that greater area where they're living. And he's reminding them, listen, those nations that are still in your land, you still have work to do, right? Even though the big battles were done, the little skirmishes still exist. Now, again, for each one of us, that's true. Let me explain it to you. The finished work of Jesus breaks the power of sin and death over a person's life right? Like you have a sin nature, you're born with it. And then when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus has dealt the death blow to a life left up to his own devices that will live in rebellion against God. But you have the responsibility not to pick up that cigarette. 
You have the responsibility when you go on the internet and you want to look at something that's inappropriate or you want to do something that's inappropriate. When in that moment, when that temptation comes, the spirit of God says, no, no, I got something else for you, but you're responsible for that. Now, the power of the sin nature has been broken in your life, but you still have to make choices. And so we're seeing that what God did in the life of the children of Israel, also the same principles exist in our life. Jesus said it is finished and it is. But your walking out the victory that Jesus has already bought is partially your responsibility. Like, here's a great example. I was just talking to someone just recently, very interested in theology. And I, listen, I, you guys know I like theology. If the book's over a thousand pages, I want to read it because I'm just that guy. I love it, man. I think it's fascinating, you know? But what I've learned is that oftentimes people are into theology. If you were to talk to their spouse, it's like, yeah, my husband is really not the kindest person. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you're really good at theology and you're not a nice person, you're really terrible at theology, no matter how many books you've read. Because there's nothing worse than having all the facts right and getting everything else wrong, right? There's nothing worse than having all the information but not letting the fruit of the Spirit be love and joy and peace and patience. Oh, patience, right? And so what goes on, and it's, and it's unfortunate, I can see it in my own life where you can be so right you're wrong. You'd be so smart that you don't really know what's going on. And so you have to make sure that you get the right things right. Right? And so you have to make sure God has done all the heavy lifting, but there are responsibilities that we have. I call them the knobs on our side of the wall. Literally, like God has the knobs on his side of the wall. He administered those perfectly, and we have knobs on our side of the wall. Even on the Crossroads staff, once a month, we honor one of our staff members. We call the award the Nobby Award. It's someone on our staff who is doing a great job at doing the knobs on their side of the wall, doing their job in such a way that they're, that they're really crushing it, and they're tending to all the things, and everybody on the staff sees it, and we'd love to honor them for doing that. And in the same way, he's saying, listen, all these nations that are still here, God's put them there and your job is to drive them out, but God's already given you rest from all your enemies. So there is still stuff that we're involved in, right? And so he reminds them, of course, that they have to keep going and they're going to walk in what God has promised to them. And then I love verse six. And you guys know this. When you see the word therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? Your Bible scholars. Therefore is a concluding sentence. Because of all these things, therefore... Be very courageous to keep and do all that the Lord has written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, or lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor shall anyone swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. So because of that, my friends, Be very courageous. Now, where did Joshua first hear that? From the Lord, right? Joshua, be strong and very courageous. So what Joshua does is he takes what God has spoken to him, and then he applies it. Listen, be courageous. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. God's done a work. So he says, be very courageous. And he says, be courageous to be obedient to the revelation of what God has done. And make sure that you honor the law. Now, at this point in God's, what we could call God's redemptive history, the arc of God's redemptive plan, God has given the law of Moses. Now, here's what you have to remember. Nobody ever made it to heaven by keeping the law. 
You know why? Because it's not possible. There's only one person in the history of humanity who ever perfectly kept God's law. And who is that? Amen. You guys are well taught. You guys know your Bible. That's why Jesus was the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's the only one, sinless, spotless, who could stand in our place. But for the children of Israel at this point, God's covenant with them was conditional on how they acted. Now, obviously, when you have a conditional covenant with a law that no one can keep, where does it go? To a bad spot. And if you don't believe me, wait till we get to the book of Judges. It goes bad really fast. The most common phrase in the book of Judges is, and the children of Israel, what? Did evil in the sight of the Lord. So he says, make sure you keep to God's law. Now, what's fascinating about it is as Joshua is speaking about this. Notice what the key to the law is, because he gets right into it. He says in verse 7, Unless you go among these nations who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor shall you swear by them, nor shall you bow down to them. So really for Joshua, what his concern is, if they don't keep to the word of God, they're going to begin to worship alternative gods. They're going to begin to fall into idolatry. And if you know the Bible, and we've studied this together, in the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. The very first commandment of the unique ten that was written by the finger of God is a commandment against false worship, worshiping the wrong God. Now, what's fascinating is this is still the greatest problem that humanity has today. See, the greatest problem that we have is that we want to elevate other things to be the object of our supreme allegiance and desire other than God. And many of us know what it's like, because if you look at your life, you'll see this is what was the allegiance of my life. And because of that, these are the decisions that I made. And whatever you worship with your highest allegiance, you begin to embody and you begin to be conformed to. And so if you worship pleasure, then you spend your entire life seeking how you can enjoy or acquire the things that you find pleasurable. And then before you know it, it completely consumes your life. And God knows that if we worship anything or anyone other than him, then the life that we're going to live is so much less than he created us for. As he's concerned about this, because Joshua knows that there are still people in the land who don't believe in the God of the Bible, who don't know him, who aren't committed to him. And he's like, look, if they're around, then you begin to mention their names. And then you begin to swear by them, make oaths in their name. And then you begin to bow down. And you notice the progression. First, you mention their name, speaks of acquaintance, right? And then you begin to hope in that deeper. And then eventually you bow down to it in an act of outward physical posturing worship. And he's like, none of that. This is the big problem. And listen, I'll be honest with you. That's why we should read our Bibles every day. Because the word of God keeps us from worshiping things that we shouldn't be worshiping. And this is what I'll say for those of you who are here who are already believers. Know what our biggest problem is as believers is see Satan's smart. Right? He's been doing this a long time. So what he does for somebody who's a follower of Jesus is what he begins to do is he says, I'm not going to be able to get them to worship another God because they believe in Jesus. So 
what I'm going to try and do is get them to take good things and make them the most important thing. Other than Jesus. Like, where all of a sudden, your spouse is more important. Now, your spouse isn't bad. It's a good thing. But they're not more important than Jesus. Your kids. Kids are a blessing from the Lord. But if you elevate your kids to a position above Jesus, you're actually worshiping something that's good that now you're making ultimate, which is actually demeaning to them and to the Lord and to you. Providing for your family. That's a good thing. But when we elevate that to something ultimate and we worship it, again, it's false worship, but of things that aren't atrocious. So we have to make sure that everything lands in its right spot. And that's also why, if you know your Bible, Jesus said that unless you hate your father and your mother and your spouse and your children and your lands, for my sake, you're not worthy of me. But Jesus isn't saying you should hate your parents because I mean, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother, right? And it's not saying you should hate your spouse because the Bible says that husbands should love your wives as Christ loved the church. Really what he's saying is that anything that fights for your allegiance above me is now becoming a problem. So it's about putting things in the right order. And I think that for each one of us, we have to say, Lord, is there anything that is good that I am elevating above you? And it doesn't say that you shouldn't still care about those things, but you have to make sure that your allegiance is to Jesus first. Because that's how Satan takes this idea of idolatry. He might not get you to reject God or reject the finished work of Jesus, but he wants to try and demean it in your arms. Now, as we continue forward, he tells them to hold fast to the Lord your God. And Jesus talked about this, didn't he? About abiding in Christ. About pitching your tent and dwelling in the presence of God. Making sure that you don't leave. You don't get distracted. Now, from there, look what it says in verse 9. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. Or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and you make marriages with them, and you go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So now Joshua, and in a lot of ways, you can feel the pathos of a pastoral heart in Joshua. He's been leading these folks for a long time, and he wasn't content just to say, okay, listen, just be careful of idolatry. He's like, I'm going to go around the track again, right? I'm going to make sure. Remember I said that when the Holy Spirit repeats himself, he knows we're thick-headed, he wants to make sure he gets through. Do we see Joshua doing this? He's a good preacher here. This is where we all preachers learned it from. Say it over and over and over again. We nag you about these things, so you get it. He's like, look, did you get it? He's like, listen, don't forget, all these great nations, they weren't able to stand before you because God fought for you. He's like, and I love this. It shows the power of God at work. He says that one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you. That's what I want you to do. For those of you who are fearful, I want you to take your pen. I want you to underline that in your friend's Bible next to you. Just go and circle that right there. That one 
among you will drive back a thousand of them. Why? Because it's the Lord who fights for you. Listen, I don't believe in self-confidence. Because to be honest with you, I have nothing to be confident in myself. But I believe in grace confidence. I believe in God confidence. I think our founding pastor used to call it Godfidence. That we have this confidence in the Lord. Now, this isn't talking about us being presumptuous. This is just the reality of what it means to walk with the Lord and have being involved in what the Lord wants to do. That you can have confidence that even though you might not have a lot going on, one could drive back a thousand because of what God is doing. And we need to start to learn how to see life through that lens. My pastor, John Henry Corcoran, used to always say that you and God in any crowd is a majority. I used to love that. I used to think about that. Like, so what does that really mean? Me and God and any crowd is a majority. It's like really the idea. And it reminds me, of course, of you guys know the story. Remember when the prophet Elisha was there and his servant was there. And then the king came and surrounded them. And the servant woke up and got all freaked out. And he's like, oh, oh, hey, there's all these people. And Elisha just rolls over. He's like, well, man, there's more for us. And there's more for, than for them. And he's like, Lord, will you open his eyes? And then the servant saw all the angels surrounding the army. We forget that these things are in the scriptures. Like when they arrested Jesus and Peter thought, he's like, I'm going to protect Jesus. I pull out my little sword and, you know, try and protect him. He's like, man, listen, I can call out a legion of angels, man. No problem. They can't take me unless I want to go. And when you begin to realize that nothing can happen to a person of God until God is done with them. Like, no one can take your life until God says, it's time is done. And see, when you start to realize that, it causes you to change the way that you live. Because you're like, look, I can be fearful of all these things. But if I walk with the Lord, I am invincible until God says that my time is over. And that's a, that's a game changer, I think. Because we're so busy worrying and making contingency plans about how all this stuff is going to work. Instead of thinking, no, I'm invincible until God's time with me is over. And this verse is powerful because it's like, look, one can drive back a thousand because it's the Lord who fights for you. And then again, notice, therefore, take careful heed to yourselves. Now, again, remember, therefore, hold fast to the Lord. Therefore, be very courageous. He's saying, look, because of who God is, you got to check your own heart. You got to check your own motives. Take careful heed. Guard your heart, as it says in Proverbs chapter four, for out of it, Springs all the issues of life. That's Proverbs 4.23. Take heed that you love the Lord your God. Now, of course, that's the greatest commandment, right? It's a quotation of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. When was the last time you took careful heed to yourself that you are loving God with the totality of who you are? When was the last time you did an inventory? Where does my life say that I don't love God? Where is my allegiance to God being questioned by something else? See, God wants us to love him. Why? Or else, verse 12, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them and go into them, and they do you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. So again, he comes back to the concern about the mixed multitude. And now he points us to the idea of intermarriage. Now, 
it'd be really easy to say, man, well, what's the big deal with intermarriage? Now, here's why. And if you don't believe me, you got to go read 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to write it down. I want you to go study it later. See, 1 Corinthians 7 is really powerful, where really what it says is that when you're married, you have to check with your spouse before you go do what you think God wants you to do. And really, Paul's making the case that if you're single, don't worry about getting married right now, because if God asks you to do something, you can go do it. If you're married, you can go check with your wife or your husband. So the idea here is that the concern with intermarriage is the fact that when somebody who's a believer gets married to someone who's not a believer, now compromise has to happen. Because that's how marriages work. Two people become one flesh and then their negotiation happens. And what happens is, is that for the children of Israel, every time there was intermarriage, very quickly there is apostasy. There is the outside influence of one of the spouses coming on in and diminishing the witness of a follower of Jesus. Right? And obviously, if you know the Bible, that was Solomon's downfall, wasn't it? Solomon intermarried, and before you know it, he's setting up pagan altars everywhere. Now, here's the thing. For those of you who are single right now, listen, make sure that you choose a spouse who is not going to compromise your commitment to Jesus. You have to make sure that you are choosing to devote your life and become one flesh to somebody who is going to provoke you to love and good works, to be more committed to Jesus than less. Now, I want to talk with you ladies for a second because I've been a pastor for a good long time now. And the number of times I've seen a young woman who loves Jesus, who ends up marrying a guy who only loves Jesus because he's really into the girl, right? So he he plays the church thing, you know, in the beginning, she's like, you know, he's super cute. He pays me a lot of attention and, you know, but he doesn't know Jesus. And, you know, what should he do? Well, he should get saved. And then, you know, guys, listen, guys may look dumb, but they're not all that dumb. So what they do is they, they, like, they start coming around church, you know, and they're like checking it out. And they're like, man, this girl's great, man. She loves Jesus. She's a good girl. She's beautiful. I really like her. But the only way I can, you know, I can marry her is if I become a Christian. So before you know it, he's buying himself a big old Bible and he's lugging it into church. You know, every time the worship happens, he's like raising his hands, but he's too cool to raise his hands, you know? So he's like, like, you know, a low hand, like just enough so she sees it, you know? And because she thinks he's great, she's like, oh man, he's a Christian. You know, he's, he's a godly man, you know? And he's like, okay, I'm almost there. And then the altar call happens. He's like, I got to make it official. And he walks on down and she's crying. He's like, man, just get me out of here. I'm just trying to get married to this girl here, you know? That's not what he's saying out loud, but that's what he's saying in his heart. And then they get married. And then two weeks later, the last place he wants to go is church. His football's on. Last place he wants to do is go serve the Lord. Definitely no generosity because God forbid we take, you know, my buddy's beer money and give it to the work of God's kingdom. And then before you know it, you got a woman who's heartbroken. She's like, I thought we're going to like walk with Jesus together. We're going to serve the Lord together. And listen, if I had a nickel for every time I saw that, I'd have a nickel collection. When you begin to realize your deepest, most abiding victories are all things that God has done, it will cause you to praise God and live your life for Him. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded us to remember where our victories came from. Remembering what God has done will cause you to worship God. Whatever you worship, you end up conforming your life around. Worshiping God gives you the life He made you for. 
Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will show us the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is the central message of the book of Joshua. In this book, God fulfills the promises he made to Abram. But that brings up a key point about God's timing. It's not the same as yours. Next time, Pastor Daniel is going to ask you if you're willing to play the part God has for you in his time, not your own. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Homestead. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.